And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Allie Biederman. Speaking of local, Sunny Slope High School representing. Are you going to sit on the Sunny Slope? My name's Josh. I'm one of the pastors, and it's a joy and privilege to teach and preach and just to shepherd. Uh, one thing, a lot of our kids aren't here. Our teenagers are up north. They're about to get on a bus or on the bus now. They're coming back from camp. But here's a picture sent from uh, Mr. Stephen Cattermole, and there's our crew. We got Corey McCutcheon helping. We got Ramey. We got Lauren Olive. We got Jansen. I think that's everybody. I mentioned everybody. And then a bunch of teenagers. So if you love teenagers or you... Uh, have a teenager, that's maybe where they're at. So I want to just spend some time praying. That's my boy on bottom right there, cute Elijah, with as much of a smile as he can produce right now, <laughs> smirking. So uh, what a gift, parents of teens and parents who have had teens, to know other adults are loving your kids and pointing them to the same Jesus that you're trying to point them to. So let's just pray. I want to just give a space and silence for you to pray in your own way, and then I want to pray over our kids. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for the gift of children. Thank you for the gift of raising children into young men and young women. Thank you for the teenage years that are particularly uh, uh, hard in some ways, really full of opportunity in a lot of ways, but also just a great time for parents to stop and pray a lot. So God, thank you for the chance to pray. Thank you for the adults of this church that love our teenagers alongside us. And thank you for the adults here who pray. Now, God, we lift up our teenagers, our middle school and high schoolers. We love them so much. We want them to love you with all they have. We want them to know that your voice speaks louder than all the other voices they're hearing. So I pray that's what happened, and your voice will continue with them down the mountain. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said amen. Well, this is Local Sunday, and I get to preach on being a local church. Here's what I mean by local. It's bigger than, so back in my college days, I boycotted Walmart because my dad was boycotting Walmart because they did not make stuff in America, and I followed my dad because I love my dad, so I stopped shopping at Walmart. Why? Because they made stuff from outside of the States, and I was annoying and obnoxious, everything you expect from a 21-year-old without a lot of humility or wisdom. <laughs> my dad said, buy local. By local. Today we're talking about local, but it's more than just a good business slogan. Local is the design by our designer for all of us. He has designed us to be local people, local churches, locally present. And I know that seems like the most basic statement, but in our cultural moment with the uptick in technology and the ability to be everywhere at all times and all places, local is no longer a given. We are pulled every which way. So I want to talk today about being local. This whole series is just simply our church trying to get a, kind of pull back the curtain and show you our heartbeat. I asked that, or we prayed this to kick off our year together. It's the Lord's Prayer, and in there is where we get this shirt from. So God, person of Jesus, told his disciples, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Where our prayer is simply that in Phoenix as it is in heaven would be done. 
We want more than just people to not go to hell, to spend eternity in heaven. We want people here on earth to enjoy heaven as much as they can before Jesus returns as king and makes all things new, brings heaven and earth together once and for all. For now, we have this prayer and this hope and this vision that Phoenix can feel more like heaven if we pray, then the Spirit brings it and the kingdom comes by his will. That's our prayer. How does the kingdom come to Phoenix? Here's our simple answer. Through simple, local, healthy congregations. God's plan for the world is the church, which is best expressed in just local expressions. In whatever community God is moving by his spirit, the simple, local, healthy church is God's plan A for the world. If I was God, I could have thought of a million ways to change the world. He chose to be present with a few and set the model for what ministry and life is best like with local people on the ground affecting their very community that God has placed them. So today we're going to talk about being local. I'm going to do three things. I'm going to look at the local ministry of Jesus. I want to talk about our local ministry as North Mountain. And then I want to talk about your and my local ministry. So that's what we're doing today. I want to read that passage again that Allie just read for us and just set the tone. So if you have your Bibles open, look at Acts 17 again. So I became a Christian 18. A few verses that I read in the early years of being a Christian have always stuck with me. This one is maybe the second verse that ever just stuck here and never left because it's just fascinating. Oh, this is why I live where I live. This is why I grew up on. God's in control of all this. Here's what Paul says to a very Uh, Greek audience. They loved pontificating about religious things. They loved staying up in the clouds about religion and spirituality and eternity. And Paul's like, no, let's bring it down here. And this is his comments to them and to us. He, being God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Why? That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him yet he is not actually far from each one of us. Two truths in there. God has created all from one mankind. Adam is all of our great, 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 grandfather. We come from the same lineage. We are all created. My hair, my height, everything about me, everything about you, your flinches, your personality, your makeup, your blood type was created and designed by a creator. That is a beautiful truth to embrace. And in the very same breath, he mentions another thing. That is not as beautiful on the surface. Besides being created, Paul also says this. God has not created your life as a blank slate for you to discover life with. We think if there is a God, he put us on this earth and then just said, go. This says God created you and then put the fences of your life up around you. You are created and you are bounded, limited by God the designer. Your birth, your death, God knows and wills. Your zip codes, God knows and wills. Your college or not college or city of choice, all that has been determined. Why? Because we see it here. God has determined the allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. Why did he do it all this way? That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet each, he is not actually that far from each one of us. God's goal, that in our limited local lives, we would bounce around in the walls that he's created and find, know, treasure him. He wants us to be local. I wrote it this way, that in our short, 
local lives, we would be met by, found by, and fall in love with the eternal one. Being local is not just a business fad or an American economic growth thing. It's the design by God himself and expressed beautifully in the life of Jesus. So that's the first local ministry I'm going to look at. It's just Jesus' local ministry. Jesus was local, period. Jesus is king of the universe. Jesus' life, death, burial, resurrection, powerful ascension to sit on the throne. All that is true. Jesus Christ changed the course of human history more than any other human. He is the most famous, the most controversial, the most talked about, the most followed, the most rejected human to ever live. There is no one like him. And yet he was a completely local person. All of his miracles, all of his teaching, all of his earthly relationships happened in a very small local area. In fact, they call it the evangelistic triangle. Here's the three cities that Jesus basically bounded himself within. Jesus, God, laid aside godness to come down and put on flesh to live in this dinky little Middle Eastern triangle. From Capernaum to Bethsaida, it's about 7.1 kilometers. You math people, that's like four and a half miles. I Googled it this morning, just curious. It's a seven-minute drive, if you're in Bethsaida right now, to get to Capernaum. And Jesus was there, then he was there, and he was there. One scholar says 80% of his ministry happened within that little thing. All of his disciples, with the exception of Judas, came from that part. That's where Jesus did everything in that. Like 30 out of 33 of his miracles happened in that little. And that is who we follow now in Phoenix, Arizona. That is just fascinating. That's not how you'd expect God to work. Jesus' life was limited. A few things. He never traveled to see anything that the world or we deem worthy. No wonders of the world. He worked with his hands his entire life. He took naps. And scripture seems to say a lot of naps. Why? Because he worked with his hands. He actually worked hard. And he got tired. He ate meals with local people, both friends and enemies. He healed some people, but he did not heal everyone or even close to healing everyone he could. If you read the Gospels, there's a lot of no's, either by not now or I've got somewhere to be. I can't do that now. He was limited. He was a local person. I wrote this down. His potential in life was way higher than his calling. Like you have a potential in life. Here, your mom has convinced you it's here. I'll just tell you, be the one to tell you. It's here. But most godly people I follow in life have a potential here and a calling that falls below what they potentially could be or do or see. Why? Because they know that they're limited humans. They can't do it all. Especially as you start to take on relationships and responsibility. The reality is you, you're going to leave a lot on the table of what you could do. And part of being a healthy, mature Christian is wrestling with that and taking that to the spirit. Like, here's my potential. What are you calling me to? Joel could have stayed in San Diego and lived it up. And his calling said, go east, young man. To the de- <laughs> go to the desert. Jesus was local and he was limited. Wow. Now, here's the question. Just Bible reading, a good question in general. Is what I'm reading descriptive or is what I'm reading prescriptive? So as I look at the life of Jesus, as I read the life of Jesus given to us in the Gospels, is it descriptive? It's just there to describe what happened. 
or is it prescriptive? It's here to prescribe what you and I should be doing or how we should be doing. Is it descriptive? Is it prescriptive? Here's the answer. Yes and yes. It describes perfectly the life of Jesus. Without this describing what it describes about Jesus, we would not have the gospel. We would not have the finished work of Jesus' perfect earthly life here. His life, death, resurrection, which is how we come to saving faith. I trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's not my work. Am I enough? We asked last week. No, I'm not enough, but Jesus is enough. I trust. I, I trust everything described about who he was. But is it also prescriptive? Here's a way to ask it. Should we aim to follow the way in which Jesus lived? And any Christian with any common sense says yes. Should I love like Jesus? Yes. Should I pray like Jesus? Yes. Should I fast like Jesus? Crickets. Ah. I don't want to fast. It's a playoff game today. Should we do the things that Jesus did? The answer is yes. But here's the like rub here with talking about locality of Jesus. Should we structure our lives? Should we live how Jesus lived? Should we limit our little space to this dinky little five mile by five mile by five mile triangle? No, that's silly. He's not calling us to go back in time, but he's calling us to take his word serious and apply not only what Jesus did, but how he did it. One author, one of my favorite authors, a guy named Zach Gesswine, professor and pastor, he says the Holy One of God has a hometown. The Holy One of God inhabited a locality on earth. He lived himself to a specific place at a specific time, and in many ways his hometown was a small, poor town. It's wild and powerful to think about Jesus walking those streets and working as a carpenter, and he did so for 30 years. This right here. Jesus had a world to save. He had injustice to confront, and he had lepers to touch. Isn't greatness for God squandered in all these years of obscurity in the local? His rhetorical answer is no. That's the good life. Like we know Jesus lived the perfect life. His righteousness is what gets us relationship with God. We also, if we're at our best, say he had the best life. Like out of all humans, he had the best life. Not in how it ended and how he was treated, but he is the picture of the best life. But here's where Christians, especially in our Bible camp world, where we really love the Bible and truth and scripture and principles, did Jesus model the good life? Like is his way of life the good way to do it? Like is it going to be good for my soul? And here's what I think we need to wrestle with. Yes, absolutely. Locality, local, faithful presence is the way to the good life. Does that mean I got a, a few people ask me, I got a lot of trips planned right now, my man. Do I need to cancel? No, we'll talk through all that. But in a world that's constantly, like I think about this thing, it gets me wherever I want to go right now. It gets me out of any conversation I'm in. Is that the good life? Constant doors out of what I'm presently engaged with. Any spouse that's worth their beans in anything would say, no, that's not the way to a good life as a spouse. Any parent that's worth their would say, no, I need to stay engaged even in the mundane. Jesus model it. One simple tool on how to do this. If Jesus lived in your house, here's what I think would be a helpful tool that he would walk through as well. Art of Neighboring, it's a book written by a Colorado pastor out of the Vineyard Movement. 
But I read it, and it's the most basic, simple thing you'll ever hear, and it blew my mind. He says, there's your house in the middle. Picture your street, your apartment complex, your dorm, whatever it is. Now I want you to name all your adjacent neighbors. And he says, every conference he's ever done, he goes to these churches, mega churches, where people know the Bible and give and do all these wonderful Christian things. And he gives us, he's like, no one has ever been able to fill that out on the first swoop. Why? Because we don't live locally present. If Jesus was in your address, he'd know Bill's name. He'd know the Solis. He'd know. So take that. And here's what the guy says. Just start with basic. Like, what are their names? And if you got to snoop, if you got to pry, if you got to do any illegal activity, do what you got to do. <laughs> it's been five years. It's like, that's the thing we ought to get over is the awkwardness of social things. Like, I'm going to say, I know your name. I've met you 15 times. Please tell me again. Oh, Bill. And then write it down. He says, go down a layer. The second thing is write down some substantial thing about this person or family. And then third thing, if you're really like living present as a missionary in your context, a prayer request for that family or whoever that is. Jesus lived locally. The best human to ever live, lived locally. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing, though, is our local ministry here at North Mountain. Again, the passage says this, We made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries, both time and place determined, our dwelling place determined, that includes churches, so that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Here's, I wrote this, We want to live within the boundaries of proximity that God has given us as a church. And we want to live faithfully present in this moment in the places and with the people that God has placed us around. Why? Because we want to be faithful to how God has designed the world to work. It's not a limitless, boundless world. It's a bounded, limited, local world that God has presented us with. So why are we locally present right here in this strip mall with a dollar store that our kids love and all the parents hate a goodwill that has more Christmas trees than you'd ever want to buy, ever. Why here? I'm just going to tell you the quick story of our church, how we got here. Just to remind you that God does what he wants, how he wants to, when he wants to. And he pulls us along. So I was praying. 2018 in the fall, I was fasting. I'm teaching high school students at the time. I'm teaching them spiritual disciplines. And fasting is coming up. And I had only fasted for a day or three days up to that point. I thought, I want to be... Full of integrity as I get up and talk about fasting. So I'm going to fast for seven days. So I say, I'm going to fast for seven days. I start. My wife's like, that's crazy. That's dumb. I'm like, that's what, it's who you married. Sorry. And I, tell, I ask God, just tell me one thing. One thing. I fast. Day six of my fast, I get a text from a friend. Hey, man, can you meet? So the last day of my fast, I meet with my pastor friend out in Tempe. And he says, dude, I had a vision like crazy vision involving the South Mountains and the sun coming out of the wrong direction and like fire. And I'm like, I'm not, you Tempe guys are odd birds. Can you like tell me? <laughs> and he said, I had some people help me interpret it and you and I need to start working on planning a church here in Chandler, which we both lived in, we both loved. I said, dude, I love you. I love redemption. I would love to plan a church. Done. So we start meeting regularly and do, going on prayer walks in Chandler. And we're like, yeah, we're going to. And he has more visions along the way. I'm like, dude, I can't keep up. With that. Just give me one vision in a lifetime. <laughs> but God says no, no, no to every door we try to walk through. 
In the meantime, the leaders of redemption at the time say, you need to go off to this assessment. It's called Stady. It's like a looking at church planners and their spouses and giving them a thumbs up like, yeah, you should do this or you should get out of ministry immediately. So we go off to Denver for this assessment and we get like this. Aubrey gets like, Aubrey is top notch, Josh, single thumb. <laughs> However, the only thing you both need to work on is you need to be called to a space, a place, a location, a people group. Because at that point, we knew we wanted to be a part of redemption. We didn't know what that meant. We wanted to plant a church. But as far as location, we're like, I don't know. We love Chandler, but everyone said no. While we're there, we meet a North Phoenix pastor. He takes me to coffee afterwards when I get home. And he says, hey, man, I just want you to know. I got something to tell you. My elders have been praying for a long time. We have a map in my office. And the area between the 51 and the 17 from northern up to Bell is this area in Phoenix that our elders are begging God to send church planners. What do you think? I'm like, I, what's there again? I don't. I'm from the West Valley. I lived in Texas. And then Chandler, I'm like, I don't know what's there. I'm like, oh, interesting. I meet with another guy, disconnected from him. He's like, Josh, I heard you and Aubrey did great at this church planning assessment. Can I mention something? Somebody said during one of your little talks, they said, what if North Mountain made you move to North Phoenix? What would you do? And both me and Aubrey said, I don't care. That's fine. You can tell how passionate we are about <laughs> But we were like, I don't know what God asked for us. We're like, yeah, that's right. We, we'd go. He's like, it's, that's fascinating. Because then he basically tells me the same exact rectangle as this other guy. He says, God has always been flashing this light there. Have you heard of Moon Valley? I'm like, ah, kind of. You could call it Redemption Moon Valley. I'm like, I don't know about that. Two guys tell me this is where you should go. So me and Aubrey are like, okay. The God's trying to get our attention. We'd start driving up here to have dates and meet and talk and pray. And eventually we're like, with like a, yeah, this is it. This is the, so that's like the passionate yes to why this area. So we start searching. Here's a picture of us going to different buildings. Like, all right, we need a spot to meet. This is one. Look how sweet and young, cute my kids were. Years ago, that's probably 2019 maybe. You zoom out a little bit. Some of you might know this place. This is the spot I thought we'd end up. It's now a Three Wishes lingerie shop on 30. <laughs> right next to You get your bagels and your underwear right in the same spot. But you can't get Jesus there because my Jewish friends at Chompies aren't selling it, and they're not selling it at Three Wishes. But that's how God got us out here. Why here? I don't know fully, but God wanted another local representation here. Let me tell you some wrong answers to why here that I don't want us to ever communicate. We're not here because there was no good churches in North Central Phoenix. That's one way to sell what you're bringing as a church planner. There was other good churches that you could go to. That wasn't it. Here's the other reason. Our core team wanted to be a part of a better church finally. Anyone who was a part of the core team, especially the ones who moved their houses and moved here, left really good churches, good leaders, to come to a dinky little startup. Why? Because that's what it felt like the Spirit was calling us to do. And here's the other thing I don't want us to ever say. Part of this is true, but the city is so wicked and in deep need of a Savior. Yes. Are my neighbors spiritually blind? Yes. Are they walking around assuming they have 20-20 vision? Yes. That's a huge problem. But too many church planners, ministries try to sell you on Phoenix is the most secular space on earth. I've been to Istanbul. Like there is one Christian in the most congested city I've ever been in. Phoenix is dark. Satan's on the prowl. 
our neighbors are blinded, but so is San Francisco, and so is Tuscaloosa, and so is Tallahassee, and so all places have a darkness that churches need to bring light to. So well, let's not try to say, we're the, you, me, you, I'm the, we're all doing the same work, Christians, okay? Here's also why we're planning a church. I think, based off research and conversation, church planning is God's gift to the church to keep it fresh and vital as things change around us. Tim Keller says it this way. It's a longer quote. But he says, A vigorous and continuous approach to church planning is the only way to guarantee an increase in the number of believers, and it is one of the best ways to renew the whole body of Christ. So church planning is a way to get new believers and the body of Christ renewed. The vigorous, continual planning of new congregations is the single most crucial strategy for the numerical growth of the body of Christ and the continual corporate renewal and revival of the city. How? Church plants. Why? Because they bring in this fresh life. He goes on to say, it's on the screen now, nothing else. Not crusades, outreach programs, parachurch ministries, growing megachurches, congregational consulting, nor church renewal process will have the constant impact of dynamic, extensive church planting. This is an eyebrow-raising statement, but to those who have done any study on it at all, it's not even controversial. Apostle Paul would say it this way, God has appointed our boundaries, and he needs churches within those boundaries as people are seeking and finding their way to the good life and coming up empty. And we have the good life, and his name is Jesus. So church plants has come, and there's new believers, and other churches are revived because of the fresh new energy in new areas. That's why we planted this church. We want to be faithful to this area. Well, how big is this area? If you do a five-mile radius around this location, you get just on the other side of 17, you get to Tatum, you get up to the 101, you get down to, like, Bethany. It's a pretty big, however big you make it, it's still a lot of work to do. We could shrink it down to a mile. It's like, gosh, that's more work than. But we want to be faithful to the original call. God said, go. Flashing a light here. Go. Start a church here. Here's the other thing we want to be faithful to. We're not the first ones on the block. Chandler mentioned this. But we're missionaries. We come into a context. This place has been built by people and cultures and leaders and city leaders and civic leaders and art leaders and school leaders and educators. All this has been here for a long time. We're not coming in to create culture. We're here coming in to be a curious, compassionate, missionary presence for the people here. Why? Because they're bumping around within the boundaries God has placed them in, seeking and trying to find something, and we have that which they need, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I thought of a few just, well, what about, what if you don't live in this area? One of our core church planners, crew members was this gal, Diane, who I loved, and she was driving from south, south, south Phoenix, Albuquerque, and eventually the drive got too much. What if you're like driving in? Does this mean this is our final Sunday together? <laughs> Hit the road, Jackson. No. I wrote a few things just to think through, because this is a serious, I mean, I had lots of conversations at the first service. First of all, I'd say, thank God that you have choice in good churches. Istanbul, you're lucky to meet another Christian. Here you can drive past three good churches to get to this little guy. Here's the other thing. Relationships matter a lot, so be wise with those. Some of you are here because of the relationships, and you're driving a little further because there's a discipleship relationship here. Some, I don't want to say squash that. So relationships, press into that. On the same side of the coin, on the other side of the coin, 
relationships, at least in my life, and most people I talk to, are the seasonal reality. This might be your seasonal church for this particular time, and then God's going to move you elsewhere. That's fine. Ask God, pray fast, and he will guide you. That takes me to the final thing is pray and ask God to lead you in all this. He will lead you. He led us here to this place that I never in a million years would have expected to live. And I've loved every second of it because God's been leading the way. Here's the other thing is, does this mean we're not going to plant churches? We're just going to be local, insular, inbred. This is just our people now. No, the way churches got planted in the New Testament is there's like a church in Antioch, and they're preaching and teaching and taking communion together and praying together. And then somebody has this weird thing, I think I should go, and they gather around and they pray and they send them off. That's going to happen in this church. I want to see churches planted. I want to see leaders sent off. This city is like gathering more and more people every day, every week. We need more churches. There's not enough still. So we are going to plant churches. I want to just give you a sense of how I'd love for that to happen. This is a gift to me given by a pastor in the area when I moved up here. Long faithfulness in the same direction. And I love it because it's just so not impressive. <laughs> Dr. John Mitchell was the pastor at Bethany Bible for a long time. Some of you are, have roots there. But somebody asked him, like, what was your church planting strategy? And they planted all sorts of churches. Northwest Community, where my dad became a Christian. Trinity, just on the other side. They had a key part in Camelback Bible. Scottsdale Bible, all these churches. How did you do it? I love this. He did not sit down like we do now in ministry, write a book, sell it, and then go try to do that which he told everyone how to do. He just did it. And then someone asked, tell me, what did you do? And I just want to read. Here's his statement. I wish I could say that when I came to be the pastor of Bethany Bible in 1955, we laid out a plan of strategy for establishing a Bible churches as satellite ministering the word of God and pastoring the people of God. But it did not start that way. Instead, as God opened doors of opportunity, we as a church led by the pastor and the board simply went through those doors and brought up by faith the opportunities God had set before us. As we look back over the church planning developments, we can observe God's own strategy of multiplying Bethany's ministry throughout the Valley of the Sun. No two churches had the same format or beginning, nor was the extent of Bethany's involvement the same in any two cases. It's sort of like parenting. Everyone gets your unique heart and mind. In one situation, the need might have been financial. In another, the motivating support might have been simply words of encouragement. What follows in this paper is a documentary of the growing principles and practices which contributed to the church planning ministry of Bethany Bible as viewed by the pastor. Just as physical atmosphere contributes to the production of fruit, so the Holy Spirit arranged circumstances to bring to fruition a ministry of growth. That's my hope, that the Spirit would lead us, we would follow, new churches would be planted. How is it all going to look? I don't know. Ours has been a wonderful journey, but there's lots more churches to be planted. Why? Because people have been bounded by God so that they could seek and find their way. That's North Mountain. We're going to be local, but we're not going to be limited in praying for other opportunities as God sends us. But here's my pastoral heart, just as I think about us as people families, homes, spouses, kids. Local is not just a church strategy that I want you to forget about as you go to lunch. Local is a personal desire I have for myself and for you. So I want to end on this with a couple temptations. I want to talk about your local ministry. 
Again, the passage. This is what God says about why your life is the way it is. Why you have the birth date you did. Why you'll have the death you will have. Why you live where you live. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. And he determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. Why? That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. You are created and you are bounded. You are limited. You are local. What are the temptations as I think about pastoring people to be local people? Here's the first temptation. And it applies to some of us, maybe all of us in various seasons. It says here, to neglect your local reality and calling and live beyond the boundaries given to you in the kingdom of God. Maybe this is a younger person thing. Maybe it's like a leader thing. But the desire to think I'm a bigger deal than I am. Zach Eswine wrote a book called The Imperfect Pastor. He says, all pastors struggle with these three things, being omnipresent, omniscient, and omnipotent. <laughs> Meaning, all everywhere, with all the answers, and all the power to fix that which comes your way. Why? Because there's so many problems, so many issues, and we're asked a lot of questions simply by state of being the one up here on stage. Hey, pastor, how do you, can you look at this wart for me? I, yeah, let me... <laughs> But I think all of us, given the reality we live in, have this like thing in the back of our heart that I'm not as limited as I am. I can be lots of places. I can know lots of things. Just stay local, limited humans. Nick Saban, greatest college football coach of all time. Seven national titles. He retired. How long did it take to replace the greatest coach of all time? Like 12 hours. You financial leaders in the room, how quick is it going to take to replace you as you move on from your career? Less than 12 hours. Me as a past. Like, we're just, we got a little bit of time that God has allowed. Be faithful, and then we're going to be replaced in every relationship except for those most core and intimate. But just be okay with that. There's a beauty in the limits given to us by God. Here's the other thing, and this is, maybe for all, this is the most pushback I got last service, which I'm fine with. Your experience. I think we think we can have all the experiences. Especially as I disciple and talk to and learn about the 20-something-year-olds and 30-something-year-olds. It's like, a, how do I accumulate all the experiences in life? And I'm not telling you you can't go on that trip, but I'm telling you, think about local reality and the presence and the faithfulness and the fact that most of life is mundane in local places with local people and just learn how to be okay with that and don't fill the empty space with the next experience or thinking about the next experience go to Rome I don't care but if you're going here and going there and you're never grounded or locally planted that I think is a problem for you of not enjoying the fullness of life. I just think you need to be... So, influence and experience. And here's the other side of the temptation coin, and it's maybe only a certain people in the group. To see your local calling and your boundaries as insignificant in the kingdom of God. That's some of you right now. Stay-at-home moms, older folks, slower, quiet, there's lots of ways to be passed up in this life. You're no longer 
producing like he used to produce, people move on. Like the temptation is to think, yeah, I am a locally present person. I go to the same fries. I drive the same roads. I do the same thing. Everything you're saying about local, I'm doing. That explains my life. But I feel no sense of beauty or significance. I just want to remind you, Jesus' life displayed spotting all the people that society was too quick to notice. Why? Was he just really good? Yes. But also, he's displaying what the kingdom of God is going to be like. When the new heavens and the new earth come together once and for all, it's not going to be a contest where all the elites get on stage. Hey, Zuckerberg and Gates and Bezos, come talk about all that you've done. It's going to be this endless display case of all the small, little, local things that you did, wondering if anyone was watching. Like the woman dropping a penny, and Jesus stops all of his disciples. You watch this. The way redemption has said it for years, there are no little people and there are no little places. Do not lose sight of that. The kingdom of God is not bigger than your little local thing you're doing, mom or grandma or bus driver or whoever you are. Be faithful where you're at. That's the most beautiful thing you can do. Why? Paul says it this way. Made from one man, every nation, mankind to live on the face of the earth. What has God done? He's determined the allotted periods and boundaries of our dwelling place that we should seek God and find our way toward him and find him and now do that for others. That is our call. North Mountain, we are limited. We are local. That could be restrictive, but I want it to be beautiful. Amen? Let's pray together. God, keep us local. Keep us faithful in the places that you've called us, with the people you've called us to. God, this, the easiest thing in the world to do for me and so many of us is just to lose sight of how you view things. We get caught up, or as the Bible says, tossed to and fro by every wind and gimmick and new thing and new voice. We don't want to be tossed to and fro. We want to be steady locally present men and women who know that our Father's watching. If no one else sees it, praise God, you do. God, as a church now, help us to really embrace our local mission as something beautiful given to you, given to us by you. God, and thank you for just leading us here. And I'm anticipating all the things you have in front of us, but for now I just want to stop and say thank you for putting a church here, not to be the only church, but to be a church as we press into your kingdom. God, we love you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.